Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Good morning. It is wonderful to see everyone here this morning. Uh, For those who are in person, for those who are online, as Pastor Neil said, I am not a staff pastor here at the church, so you don't have to worry and say, what happened to the pastors here? That's not who I am. Uh, I am here as someone who has served in pastoral ministry. uh, My wife and I were together in Los Angeles for about 15 years where I served as a pastor. A couple other places before that. We moved here to Minneapolis 11 years ago because I missed winter. I had a wonderful opportunity to teach at North Central University, something I enjoy doing to this day, and I'm honored to be there. Uh, I've had the chance a few times, as Pastor Neil said, to speak here. Uh, One of my last times was I got to speak at the Cultivate Conference, phenomenal conference our church puts on every year. I was one of the speakers. I spoke on what the church does, and I talked about three areas where the church can talk about its activity, its worship, its witness, and its work. And after that, Pastor Neil came to me and said, hey, we want you to talk about work here at the church. So if you were at the Cultivate Conference, you're going to hear some of this again. Some of this might be new for you. All of this might be new for you. But I want to talk about it, and I've talked about it in other places, because I think the church has a weird relationship with work. In fact, I think America has a weird relationship with work. One illustration of this is a number of years ago, there was a national seminar put on about work, about the workplace. It was a seminar that brought in speakers that were well-known and renowned throughout the country, uh, people like Colin Powell, other senators, uh, business people, CEOs. And as they all came in, people were paying something like $800 to attend this conference to hear these people talk about work. And at the beginning of the conference, filled with people who paid almost $1,000 to be there, They stood up and they asked this question at the conference. They said, what would you do if you had $10 million? What would you do if you had $10 million? And of course, the point of the question was, what would you want to do for a living if you didn't have to work for money? But as they asked the people the question, what would you do if you had $10 million? People who had paid $800 to be there on a conference about work all hollered out together, nothing. I would do nothing. America has a weird relationship with work. Gallup poll 2017 did a massive survey of Americans and their relationship with work. It's called the state of the American workplace. And here was the result of this poll. 70% of Americans dislike their jobs. 70% of Americans dislike their jobs. If you as a Christian are like the rest of the people in your country, There's a lot of people in this building who are unhappy at work. And it's strange because the Bible has a lot to say about work. The Bible has a lot to tell us about work. In fact, work is mentioned over 800 times in the Bible. Oddly enough, work is mentioned more in the Bible than worship. The Bible has a lot to say about work, yet how does the church translate that to all of its members? I think sometimes in the church, we have a weird relationship with work. And the way it's weird is partly this. We don't want anyone in the church to tell us how to do our jobs. When I come to church, I'm coming to church. I don't want you to talk about how I can be a better employee or a better employer or what I can do. What I think is weird is how many times have you come to church and people have told you how to be a better husband or a better wife? How many times have they told you how to be a better parent? Yet how many times do we talk about how to be better at work? 
It's like there's a line that we don't cross when it comes to work that we have no problem crossing when it comes to family. (laughs) We have a weird relationship with work. But if God is concerned about all of our lives, and if we spend a large portion of our lives at work, then that means God is concerned about our work as well. So this morning, we want to look at what the Bible says about work. And I want to begin by turning to Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Now, we do this once a service. We stand when we read scripture. This is not something we're going to do throughout the service, but we do this just out of reverence for God's word. We're going to begin reading at the second verse of Genesis chapter 2. And it says, On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. So he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. There were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils. The man became a living person. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord made all sorts of trees grow up from the garden, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And skipping down to verse 15, the Lord God placed the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him. You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. You may be seated. I'm going to talk four things today, just four points for this message. And the first point comes from our text directly, and it's simply this. God works. God works. From the very beginning of scripture, we have an image of a God who is at work. The Bible begins with the work of God. On the seventh day, God rested from his work. God works. Now, for us, we're like, well, sure, that's Genesis. We all know this. But you might be surprised to realize in the ancient world, that wasn't always the expectation of God. In fact, a lot of the stories of the gods of the ancient world are really stories about gods who are doing everything they can so they don't have to work. In fact, in some ways, you read about the ancient gods, and it sounds like it's just lazy human beings who are writ large. They are lazy, they don't want to do anything, they're trying to avoid stuff, and those are the stories that we tell. It is shocking if you know the stories of those gods to come to Genesis 1 and we immediately see a God who is at work, a God who works without complaint. The gods of the ancient world would always try to avoid work, but the Bible begins with God at work. And even though God rests on the seventh day from creating the world, he still remains active throughout the Bible. If we look at the work of God, we can put all the work of God into three major categories. God creates... God provides and God saves. The three major things God does in scripture. He creates. God begins by taking nothing. He turns nothing into something. Then he allows that something to turn into something else. God is at work in creation. God is also at work in provision. Throughout scripture, God continues to provide for creation. We look at the rain and we consider that the provision of God. The food and we consider that the provision of God. Protection and that's the provision of God. 
God continues to provide for creation what is needed by always giving. And God is also at work saving. How many know that the world that God's created is not the way that God intended it to be? There is corruption going on in the world, and God is at work not just creating. God is at work not just providing. God is also at work trying to save, trying to take the corruption that is trying to destroy his creation, the corruption that resists redemption, and trying to make that something that it should be, the way God intended. God works through Israel for salvation. God works through the church for salvation. And it all centers around Jesus Christ, whom God put here for the salvation of the world. God creates, God provides, and God works to save whatever he's created. So God works. But our second point is it's not only that God works, it's that God works through our work. God works through our work. If we go on in the passage that we looked at this morning, God created humanity to do what? To take care of the garden that he created. In fact, the actual verbs used here are God put man in the garden to do what? To cultivate the garden and to protect the garden. How many of you, when you read the story of Eden, you sometimes think of it as if it's like Club Med or some vacation spot for Adam and Eve, right? I mean, they're hanging out all day in a garden. They can eat almost any of the fruit they want. It sounds wonderful. We sometimes get this wrong. Eden wasn't Adam and Eve's vacation. Eden was Adam and Eve's vocation. It was their workplace. God created a garden. He gave them everything they needed to live in that garden, but then he gave them instructions. I want you to cultivate it. I want you to make something out of it, and then I want you to protect it. I want you to keep this safe. God intends us to work because our work becomes part of God's work. Not only that, he calls us to work together. The last verse I gave you in today's text, God looked and said, it's not good for man to be alone. Throughout the story of creation, God creates and he sees that it's good. He creates vegetation and it's good. He creates the birds and the fish and it's good. He creates land animals and it's good. He creates humanity and it's good. He looks at all he's created and God says it's very good. Then we come to chapter two and he sees Adam trying to do all this work alone and God says, that's not good. So he creates woman to be a helper to man. Now I wanna highlight something real quick. The word helper here does not mean assistant. God did not create woman to be an assistant to man. The word helper here means more like co-worker. In fact, when we find this word being used elsewhere in scripture, the word isn't translated helper, the word is actually translated savior. Because you're in trouble, you need help. God creates someone and that someone is your savior. Sometimes that word is used for God. How many wives in here are seated next to their husbands? Look at your husband right now and say, you know how many times I've saved you? God creates man. Man is called to cultivate and protect a garden. Man cannot do this job alone. God creates woman to be the co-worker, to be the savior of man in his work. And together God calls humanity to care for what God has created and to make something of it. Throughout the Bible, God is working through humanity. People who are at work in scripture 
will recognize that it's God's work through them. Now, sometimes it's easy to see that it's God's work. The prophet stands up and he says, thus saith the Lord. And you're like, well, that's clearly God speaking through the prophet. The king stands up and he executes justice like Solomon. And you're like, well, clearly that's what God wanted to have happen. But throughout scripture, whatever we do that fits in with God's plans can actually be considered the work of God. God creates, but God also creates through us, right? God creates through us. We're called to be fruitful and to multiply so we can spread throughout the earth and take care of the rest of creation. Understand family is part of our vocation. Because in family, God is doing his work of creation through us. God is using us. How many of you know family is hard work? Whether traditional family or non-traditional family. Family is hard work. But when you do family right, it is God's work being done through you. Mom, dad, you are doing the work of God. Grandparents, you're doing the work of God. Aunt, uncle, you're doing the work of God. Children who are taking care of your parents, you are doing the work of God. That is God's work through you. God creates through us. God also provides through us. We are called to serve our world and to serve each other. And whenever we do that, it is God doing his work of provision through us. Family is our vocation. Society is also part of our vocation. Whatever we're doing to serve our culture, to serve other people, that belongs to the work of God. And it isn't just that God is pleased with your work. What I'm saying is it actually is God's work. God is doing his work of provision through you. Now, I'm going to say, I've given this talk in a few other places, and every time there's always people who are wrestling with this, because this isn't something they've ever heard or heard it this way. I've I've had gentlemen come up to me and say, and a lot of times it's men, because a lot of times the people who have the weirdest relationship with work are men. So it's men. I've had men come up to me. I had one man come up to me, and a few men have said this. They're like, wow, no one's ever told me this. He was crying. He was an elderly man. He said, I was a police officer. I was a police detective in another state for almost 30 years. He says, the first time anyone ever told me that what I was doing could have been considered the work of God. And I'm like, of course it could have. I had another man come up to me. He said, I don't understand how what I'm doing is God's work. I said, okay, tell me, what do you do? He said, I'm a salesman. I said, okay, now think with me. How is it that you being a salesman could actually be considered the work of God? And he said, well, uh, I, I, I tell my coworkers about Jesus. I'm like, okay, that's great. But it's got to be more than that. We can all do that. He said, well, well, I, 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 I make money and I can give money to the church. I'm like, that's great. I'm sure the church appreciates it. But it has to be more than that. He starts thinking some more about what he does. And finally, I stop him and I said, I'm going to just say something right now. You just told me you're a salesman. And in five minutes of this conversation, you have not told me what you sell. That is a really weird salesman. I said, you're a salesman. What do you sell? And he goes, oh, I, save medic- I sell medical equipment that saves people's lives. <laughs> and he hears it and he says, God is pleased with that, isn't he? I said, not just pleased with it. When you're saving lives, it's God's work. God is doing his work through you. Had another man come up to me and said, okay, tell me how my work is God's work. I'm an Amazon delivery driver. And I had to say to him, I'm not going to justify any of Amazon's policies right now. 
So please don't think I'm about to do that. But I said, but my wife and I, now we're foster parents. We've been respite care parents. I said, there's been times we have received a child unexpectedly. And within two hours, Amazon is at our door with diapers and formula. And when that Amazon driver drops off that stuff when we need it, at that moment, he is a messenger or she is a messenger from God. You don't know what you're doing may be considered God's work. God works through us. He creates through us. He provides through us. God even does his work of salvation through us. God is at work restoring his world. And the work done to the world to set it right is always a part of God's work in the world. The church is part of our vocation. When we're involved in a Christian community who's trying to help set things right in the world, starting with our own relationship with God, but growing to how we relate to our community, that is the work of God. So I wanna ask you, how can you judge how your work is God's work? How can you judge how your work is God's work? A great writer on work, a man by the name of Hugh Welshel, gave this, and I think it's brilliant. I'm going to pass it on to you. He said, there's three tests you can give to your work. Three ways of helping to determine how your work is God's work. And the first test is this, how does your work lead to the glory of God? How does your work lead to the glory of God? Now, when I say glory of God, I want to explain what I mean by that. Anything done to highlight the work God has done is to the glory of God. Let me give you an explanation. How many have heard of the Mona Lisa? Shout it out. Who painted the Mona Lisa? Da Vinci. Okay, Da Vinci. Now shout this out. What is the name of the woman in the painting besides Lisa? Mona. Not Mona. How many of you know we remember the artist better than we remember the subject of the painting? In fact, for a few centuries, we didn't know for sure who she was. Because even though she was the subject of the painting, the painting was so well done, people forgot the subject. All they remembered was the artist. The Mona Lisa wasn't to the glory of Lisa. The Mona Lisa was to the glory of Leonardo da Vinci. This is the world God has created. And whenever we are at work in this world, honoring the world the way that God created it, preserving the world the way that God created it, cultivating the world the way that God created it, that goes to the glory of God. Are you a plumber? Let me tell you, every time a toilet doesn't explode, that is to the glory of God. Are you working for others? Are you a scientist? that's actually studying creation so you can understand it better. Science is to the glory of God. I had a student come up to me once in class and he was crying and it wasn't that kind of lecture so I didn't know why he was crying. And he came up to me and he said, today you were talking about some area in biology. And I said, I was. I was talking about a theology of something. And he looked at me and he said, all through my childhood I wanted to be a biologist. But I became a Christian late in life and for him late in life was high school. I became a Christian late in life. <laughs> I gave my heart to the Lord, and I decided the only way I could serve God was by going to some kind of vocational ministry. He said, I'm a junior now in college, and today in your class it just hit me, God would have been okay if I was a biologist. I said, God not only wouldn't have been okay, it would have been God's work. It's to the glory of God. A second way that we can see how our work 
is God's work is if it's for the common good. Is if it's for the common good. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.45 that God causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust alike. That God takes care of all for the common good. When your work is for the common good, when your work is helping, when your work is adding, that is actually God's work through you. Even people who aren't aware of being used by God, when they're at work for the common good, that can still be seen as God's work. Because God created us, he's at work through us. Glory of God, common good, and then the kingdom of God. How is your work connected to the kingdom of God? You're like, well, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God coming to make things right the way it should be in the world. When God sets things right, that is the promise of God's kingdom. There will come a time when God is going to set everything right, and it's happening through Jesus. When we are at work trying to make the world right, beginning with people having the right relationship with God, that is work that is connected to the coming of God's kingdom. And when your work does that, it is God's work through you. So ask yourself the question, how is my work connected to the glory of God? How is my work connected to the common good? How is my work connected to the kingdom of God? The way to which you answer that is a way to understand how your work is God's work. So our first point, God works. Our second point, God works through our work. Our third point is this, our work is sacred if it's God's work. Our work is sacred if it's God's work. Seeing how our work is the work of God is what brings value to our work. Sometimes I've asked my students the question, what would you do if you had a $10 million? What would you do? Just to kind of get their answer. And I always have some students who say, I would do nothing, right? <laughs> so then I ask them this question. How much money could I give you so that you never, ever be useful ever again? I just don't mean how much money could I give you so that you don't work. What I'm asking is how much money can I give you that you promise me you will never be useful for the rest of your life? And I'll have students ask questions about that. They're like, well, well what, what if I have a family? No, no, no. You can't do that because that's useful. Well, what if I just volunteer my time? No, no, no. You can't do that because that's useful. What if I just help my neighbor? No, no, no. You can't do that because that's useful. How much money could I give you? so that you will never be useful for the rest of your life. You'll have all your needs met, but you'll never be useful for the rest of your life. How much would it take? And always the answer from the entire class is the same, nothing. There's no money in the world where I would agree to quit being useful. Sometimes in this country we have this idea that the way that work works is this. Work leads to career. Career leads to success, and it's success that leads to happiness. So if I just get work to find my career, if I just find the right career, and if I just stick with that career until I become successful, at some point I will reach a level of success where I'll finally be happy. And yet 70% of us are unhappy with our work. Here's what I want to argue. It's not that work leads to career, leads to success, leads to happiness. It's more that work leads to usefulness. Usefulness leads to purpose. Purpose leads to happiness. 
It's not success that leads to happiness. You can be successful and still be unhappy. It's purpose. It's purpose that adds to happiness. When we understand how our work is God's work, we actually understand our purpose when we go to work. We also understand our purpose when we come back home. That's what adds to happiness. Patrick Lencioni, a wonderful consultant on work, wrote a book called Three Signs of a Miserable Job. And the reason he wrote this book was he had been asked as a consultant to work for a major company that had just done a morale survey for their employees and found that their morale at their company was in the tank. And they wanted to know, what's going on? What are we doing wrong? So he went and he was hired and he interviewed all these employees. And he said, in my mind, I thought the answer was going to be something like they don't get paid enough. There's too many long hours. There's a bad work-life balance. That's what I was looking for. He said, but I found something else when I interviewed the employees and I started applying this to other companies and I found the same. And out of it, he wrote this book, Three Signs of a Miserable Job. Would you like to know what those three signs are? Good, otherwise it'd be awkward when I tell you. Here's the three signs of a miserable job. Number one, anonymity. People have a miserable job if they're not appreciated for the work that they do. People have a miserable job if they're not being appreciated for the work that they do. Number two is a measurement. People have a miserable job if no one can tell them how to do their job better. Unless there's some way to gauge their improvement, unless there's some way to gauge how they're doing, if their job becomes immeasurable, it starts to feel like a miserable job. And number three, the third sign of a miserable job is irrelevance. You cannot connect your work to other people's satisfaction. You cannot connect your work to other people's satisfaction. We need to feel purpose in order to feel the value of our work. We need to feel purpose. And what I want to say to everyone in here is that if your work is God's work, your work is sacred. If your work is God's work, your work is sacred. Now understand, through much of church history, we've actually put work at different levels. The major distinction that we've sometimes done with work is we've said that there's work that is sacred and then there's work that is secular. How many have heard that distinction before? There's sacred and then there's secular. Sacred work, well, that's the work that God cares about. Think of the person who works as a pastor. Pastor Neil. Pastor Neil has a sacred job, right? I bet Pastor Neil doesn't even have to pay taxes because his job is so sacred, right? That's what we're going to tell the IRS. His job is so sacred. But you come over here, and let's say you're an airline pilot for Endeavor, and now suddenly, is my work sacred or is it secular? Does God even care about this job? And the truth is, that's a distinction that doesn't exist in the Bible. There is no distinction between sacred and secular. You know what the distinction is in the Bible? It's not between sacred and secular. It's between sacred and sinful. There's jobs that God can work through. Then there's jobs that work against God. There's jobs that God can work through. Then there's jobs that work against God. In fact, Acts 15 gives us a wonderful indicator of this. When the church is struggling on what to do with the Gentiles, and they say we don't know how to receive the Gentiles if they're not Jewish, and they have a whole meeting about what the gospel means, and they realize that God wants us to receive the Gentiles as if they were Jewish because Jesus has saved us all. But at the end of this letter, writing to Gentile communities, they say this, there are some things we have to ask you as people who belong to the people of God, and it's this, don't associate with idolatry. 
Don't associate with injustice towards animals. And don't associate with sexual immorality. Three rules that are placed on all believers have nothing to do with idolatry, have nothing to do with inhumanity that's living a way that is unjust towards life, and have nothing to do with sexual immorality. Treating sex as if it's kind of a commodity, it's an objectification. I'm going to argue there's a fourth one that's implied, and it's simply this, have nothing to do with breaking God's Ten Commandments. Don't have a job that calls you to lie and forces you to do this. Don't have a job that forces you to steal. Maybe you're not stealing in person. Maybe you're an accountant who works for a company and they want you to be involved in creative bookkeeping. Have nothing to do with a job that forces you to steal. Have nothing to do with a job that forces you into other areas that break the Ten Commandments. As Christians... Anything we do, if God works through it, is sacred. But if we have the kind of job can't work, that God can't work through, in particular the kind of job that works against God, that's a job we have to say no to. I once had a member of my church. His name was Wes. Wes was an interesting guy. As a young man, he started working for a defense contractor. He was a salesman, a major defense contractor. And eventually he worked his way up until his job was actually to be the salesman for all the black ops projects. And what that means is, if there's something that was top secret, like the government needs a new kind of spy plane, his defense company would create a prototype of what it could look like. It was his job to go to the Pentagon and try to sell them on these plans. So he'd always have to travel under assumed names. He had fake IDs everywhere because no one could know what these prototypes were. But as soon as he walked into the Pentagon, they all knew his name, and his name in the Pentagon was Good Time Wes. Because the way West did his job was he would take out the majors, the colonels, the generals. He would show them the plans, tell them why you need to go with our company. And then he would take them out afterwards to a dinner and many times to a strip club. And he would give money to the people who worked there to make sure that the VIPs he brought in had an extra good time. And when he would go into the Pentagon, people would see him and they're like, hey, good time Wes is here. What are we going to do tonight, good time Wes? And Wes said, I was really good at selling things. But through that job, he lost his first marriage. He found another person who was willing to marry him. They fell in love. He became very concerned about this second marriage. When his wife, who was not a believer, decided to go to church because they were having marital problems themselves, Wes decided he would go to church with her. And on the same day, both of them came forward and they both gave their hearts to the Lord. He had a late adult conversion. And suddenly he had a problem. Because he was good time Wes. He said, now there was nothing wrong with me doing my job and trying to sell plans, but I couldn't do it the way I had done it before. He said, so instead of taking them to a strip club, I took them to a steakhouse. I would try to give them the best meal I could of the night. They would eat the meal. They would say it was incredible. They would say to me, okay, what are we going to do next? And I would be like, that was it. <laughs> and I said, oh, Wes, what happened? And Wes said, well, eventually I lost my job. Because I wasn't making the sales I had once made before. And I said to him, Wes, you became a Christian. Then you lost this job you had worked for all your life. What did you think about that? And Wes smiled and said, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Wow. It's one of the best things that ever happened to me. His wife and he had a wonderful marriage. At the time I met him, they were retired. He was spending all of his free time serving others. There's sometimes it's not the job that's the problem. It's the way we've been taught how to do the job that's the problem. That's what we have to learn how to correct. 
Sometimes it might be the job. I know a story of a church in Colorado where a, a man who worked there who saw his job as God's work, he cut hair. And every time he had someone in the chair, he would talk to them about their lives. He would try to build them up, try to encourage them. This is my chance to make this person look pretty and to make this person feel good. And he would invariably start talking to them about Jesus as they got to know each other. Uh, girls who would come in from a, a local strip club would come in and have him do their hair. And one girl he tried to talk to about Jesus, and he invited her to come to his church. And she said to him, I'll come to your church if you come and watch me work. And he said, that's not going to happen. And she laughed and said, I get that. She said, I'm just teasing. You said, you know what? I will come next Sunday. She felt bad. She said, I'll come next Sunday. She came. She heard the gospel. She gave her heart to Jesus. Wow. About two weeks later, she calls the pastor. And she says, hey, pastor, I don't know if you remember me, but two weeks ago, I gave my heart to the Lord. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I remember you. She said, well, I've been reading my Bible ever since then. She said, I started in Genesis because I just started at the beginning. She says, two weeks, and now I'm up to 1 Corinthians, or what she called 1 Corinthians. She said, it says in 1 Corinthians that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And she says, as I was reading that, I started to think, God might not want me to do this job anymore. She said, Pastor, what do you think? He says, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. She quits her job. She starts bringing some of her fellow girls from the club over with her to church. A number of them get saved. Eventually, the owner of the club gets saved. He comes to the pastor and says, I feel like God doesn't want me to run this business anymore, but I don't know what to do because I don't want to just sell it and keep it open. And the church agrees to buy it and turn it into another campus for their church. Not only that, what about all the people whose livelihood depended on that job? The church actually raises funds to give everyone who worked there a free four-year college education so they could figure out what they want to do in life if that door was closed to them. Because sometimes church... If we're going to have people come and they're going to have to surrender their jobs to God, it's going to be our job to make sure they can be supported. Yeah. Our work is sacred if God can work through it. Our work is sacred if God can work through it. God works. God works through our work. And our work is sacred if God can work through it. But what's our last point? And this is what I really want to hit. Number four, most of the work of the church happens outside of church gatherings. Most of the work of the church happens outside of church gatherings. Understand that wherever Christians are at work, that's where the church is at work through them. Wherever Christians are at work. Sometimes we think of church work as whatever's happening when we come and gather together in a church. Or we think of church work as the kinds of things we do when we go out together as a church. So we have a food bank, we have this kind of ministry, that's church work. What I want to argue is wherever Christians are, that's the church working through them. If it's God working through them, it's also the community working through them. And sometimes I think we get the wrong idea about this relationship between work and church. Sometimes I'll say to myself, or I'll think to myself, we have five police officers who attend our church. We have seven school teachers who attend our church. We have nine businessmen who attend our church. When what we could just as well say is we have five church members on the police force. We have seven church members in the school district. We have nine church members working in the marketplace. It's not people who have jobs who come to our church. It's our church who is working those jobs through them. Understand that. Now, when I say that, I want to be very clear. What I don't mean by that is the church should be in control of those areas. 
Whenever the church tries to take control, it doesn't work out for anybody, including the church. The role of the church is not to control. The role of the church is to serve and bear witness. And when I say we have this many members on the police force, in the school district, in the marketplace, what I'm saying is our church is serving in those areas. Our church is bearing witness in those areas. So how are we as a community supporting the people who are doing that? If the members of our community understood their work as God working through them, the church could see its work through them. So how is our church? How is Cedar Valley at work in the marketplace in Bloomington? How is our church at work in Bloomington on the front lines? How is our church at work in serving others? How is our church at work in every sector of society? How is our church helping every member of our church do their job as the church? How is our church doing that? If this is God's work, it's also the work of the church. Wherever you are, you are working as a member of the body of Christ. And you represent Christ at your job. Because here's what happens. If we don't see our work as where the church exists, we're going to think of our work as a church-free zone. And when I come to church on Sunday, I'm at the church. But when I'm at work, I'm at work. And there's some kind of imaginary line in our minds where here I'm a Christian and here I'm this. Here I'm a Christian, but here I'm that. That line doesn't exist to God. You are a follower of Christ wherever you are. You are a member of the church wherever you are. When you are in the school district, when you are on the police force, when you are in the military, when you're in your office, wherever you are, you are the church at work. You represent God at work. It's meant to be God's work through you. We are called to be the church. So here's my big so what, and we're going to close in prayer here. My big so what is simply this. Our work is meant to be God's work. Our work is meant to be God's work. If we value and treat our work as if God is at work through us, then we're going to experience purpose. We're going to experience value. The value that God intends us to receive from our work. And here's the thing I haven't had time to give you. I'm just going to say it briefly right now. When we see our work as God's work, we will also have a good work-life balance. Because how many know the God who works was also the God who rested? And sometimes when we separate our work from God, we end up treating our work either like it's God or like it's the devil. Have you ever known people who do whatever they can to avoid work? Right? My whole goal in life is to retire early so I never have to work again. Right? I see work as the problem because I don't see it as God's work. It's rest that I want. It's work I avoid. Or we're on the other hand, and I think it's work that I have to serve. It's work where I find my identity. It's work that's become my God, and now it's rest that I avoid. We live in a country with these two extremes. Some people who are doing everything they can to rest and avoid work. Other people who are doing everything they can to work and avoid rest. But when we see our work as God's work, a God who works and a God who rests, we start to find balance with our work. We start to find the right relationship with our work. If I treat my work as God's work, and that's our big now what? If I treat my work as God's work, if I work as if it's God's work, then I will be able to rest when I should rest, work when I should work, 
and see the purpose and value in what God is doing through me. Church, everyone in here is called to work. We are all called to work for the kingdom of God, for the common good, for the glory of God. But understand, many of you in here don't work in a workplace that was designed with God in mind. I doubt there's anyone in here who's ever worked for Target, and when you went out on your first day, they showed you a video of how this was God's work. That probably never happened in an instructional video. Your workplace wasn't designed with God in mind, but that's okay. The church was designed to still show you how it's God's work. The church may not be able to teach you how to be a police officer. The church can show you how your work is God's work. The church may not be able to tell you how to sell insurance, but the church can show you how your work is God's work. The church might not be able to tell you how to farm, but the church can show you how your work is God's work. And the more you align your work with God's work, I'm telling you, the better you're gonna be at it because you're gonna do it the way it should always have been done. We're called to work as God's work. We're called to see it as the work of God. So I'm gonna ask everyone, first I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna ask every head bowed and every eye closed. Before we can let God work through us, we first have to let God work in us. And there may be some here who say, I don't even know what it is for God to work in my life because I've never committed my life to Jesus. I wanna be a part of God's work, but first I need to let God do his work in me. I need to have the right relationship with God first. I wanna pray with you this morning and I'm just gonna ask wherever you are, if you're someone who wants to ask Jesus to come into your life so that you can have the right relationship with God, I want you to pray this with me as I pray and simply say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to remove from my life whatever it is that has kept me from you. Jesus, I pray that you would be my God, that I would be your child, and that I would serve you for the rest of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm gonna ask everyone to stand. And before Pastor Neil comes up, I wanna pray a prayer over you. And here's what I'm asking everyone here. If you can stand, stand. I want you to do this with me. I want you to imagine your job, whatever that job is. It may be a job you're paid for. It may be a job you're not paid for, but when I say job, it's still what comes to mind. Whatever that job is, Right now, I want you to commit that to God. And I want you to say, God, I want to see my work. I want to see my job as if it is your work through me. Jesus, I pray for every single person here and I ask that you would take our jobs. You would take our work. You would take what we spend 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week doing, Lord. And you would help us to see it as your work, to see it as you at work through us. Help us to understand, God, how what we do brings you glory, how what we do serves others, how what we do is the work of Christ through us. We surrender our jobs to you. Make us better at our jobs because you're the one who's doing the job through us. We commit ourselves to you for your glory in Jesus' name, amen.